On this episode of the Pantry Podcast, we sit down with Eric Clark. Eric was a squad mate of Curtis and I and a much-loved member of 1st Platoon. Eric cleared for much of the deployment and was therefore a significant portion of our time in Panjway. We talk about his role in 1st Platoon, the difficulties of clearing, and the day he stepped on an IED, then the complexity of that day and how hard it was on us as a unit. Our conversation with Eric was enlightening, especially as it pertains to his recovery and life after being wounded and his military service at large. Stay tuned for this episode of the Panjway Podcast. And I've so never won Monopoly based off of those two pieces. It was fun. I mean, I was still poopy at first because, like, I got sent to jail, like, my second turn in. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? And Grace is buying every goddamn property he can. And I'm like, I'm fucked. I'm not going to win this. And then managed to get the blues. And that was it. That's luckily, I, I had all this money because I couldn't buy any properties. I never landed. I think before I had those two blues, I had four properties. And one of them was a railroad. And the only reason I had that is because I didn't want pros to have all four. And then all of a sudden, I got these awesome two, and I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, game on. And mm. that's the story about how I lost Monopoly in my own house. <laughs> so what we learned is that Eric Clark is as indomitable in Monopoly as he is in real life. Well, on a real quick side note, um, my <laughs> wife, and I, I, I told Grace this last night, my wife is insanely competitive. I mean, it's almost terrifying. Um her grandma and I have talked about it before. Like we don't really like playing games with her because she is so competitive. And for my birthday, she bought me Bob's Burgers Monopoly and Bob's Burgers is her favorite show. So, you know, it was one of those presents. <laughs> it's like a gift for herself. <laughs> yeah. And we ended up playing it on the back porch. And that's, I think to this day, the one and only game I've ever beat her at, but I just kicked her ass in about 45 minutes. And I have a Snapchat video of me like rubbing it in her face. It was, it was a good moment for me. That's good. Uh, well, we are sitting here with our good buddy Eric Clark, who uh, deployed to Afghanistan with us, and whose story is an integral part of uh, not only me and Curtis's individual stories and narratives, but also the squad and the platoon as a whole. Eric, thanks for coming on to the podcast, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a great excuse to fly up to Alaska. Yeah, which yeah, I Curtis fucking love by the way because Alaska is <laughs> awesome uh, we got like I don't know what, six seven inches of snow yesterday yeah it was good I mean it snowed start to finish yeah it's awesome yeah I mean all like three and a half hours of daylight were snow nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you got to see the mountains today yeah and, and a moose so I saw a moose yeah that's yeah. like literally two bucket list items on this trip I've never seen a moose in my life and I've never been to Alaska except for obviously when we landed here on our way to Afghanistan we ran off the plane I ran to the smoking room and chain smoked as many cigarettes as I could in that brief window (laughs) and then got back on the plane and I bought a pack of smoked salmon or salmon jerky Mm. that I never tried nice and that's still I got some I got some smoked salmon in my my fridge for you if you want to take it oh dude I would okay I'll take you up on that (laughs) (laughs) and we had caribou tacos last night they were good Ooh, caribou's good yeah another thing I've never done never had caribou Yep, we're... Wish I would have been there, man. I hate that I missed out on it, boys. Oh, Sounds like a good time. Don't worry. We'll we'll get together soon. Yeah, for sure. So we're sitting here with Eric Clark, as we mentioned. Yep. So uh, 
he's out. He's in Alaska hanging out with Curtis. We just interviewed Perez last night. The episodes might be out of order, but they're both there getting their interviews in at the same time, which is cool. But, you know, the place we always start, Eric, mm-hmm. uh, is the kind of brief background of why you joined the Army, but more specifically, why you chose the infantry, and just give us the elevator speech of how you ended up in Bravo 164. So, um, I was born into a very military family. Um, both my grand, I think my grandfather was army air Corps back Mm. in the day, which is pretty cool. Um, my other grandfather was Navy and then my father was Navy. My mother was Navy for a brief period. Uh, I had an uncle in the army and then my older sister, who's three years older than me, she joined the army straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. And it was never like pressed on us that we had to join the military. That was never the case. It was always a do it if you want it, go to college if you want, I don't care, but do something you want to do. And I I lived in Hawaii, Honolulu, Hawaii, when uh, 9-11 happened, and I lived on a military base. So it was crazy. Uh, getting into our housing, there was never gate guards or anything like that. And then as soon as 9-11 happened, I mean, it was armed security. Every vehicle was getting searched. And I was like, oh my God, I was nine. But I was like, this is a big deal. Like, this is something major. Um, mm-hmm. And like right then and there, I was like, I'm joining the military. And originally, I had this awesome plan of being a fighter pilot because I actually had this like, I, uh, my dad bought me this subscription to this uh, company that would send you this big old binder, but it was empty. And then every- Jeans. I, that might have been what it was, but like every month they'd send you like six different like information cards for different kinds of planes. Yep. And oh man, those. the book I had by the time I was done was probably six inches wide. Yeah. Um, and then I found out you had to have a four year degree to be a pilot. And I was like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not going to college. So yeah. when it came time to like actually join, I, I was originally going to join the Marine Corps. That was, they sent me this stupid pamphlet in the mail that looked so badass. Like, you know, doing the typical Marine thing, like making shit look insanely awesome. And I went and talked to the recruiter found out it was an open contract and I wasn't guaranteed the job I wanted. Yep. Uh, so then my best friend and I started talking and I was like, dude, we should just, one of us was like, you should just join the army. And, uh, we had talked about it. We were both going to join. And then at the time, metalworking was like my bread and butter. I loved welding. I loved fabricating, um, just enjoyed it. And I was like, dude, we could join as welders. And he was like, fuck that. Let's join the infantry. And I was like, oh, God. I didn't know what the infantry was at the time. I was like, what the hell is the infantry? He's like, that's frontline combat. And I got yeah. to thinking about it. And I was like, dude, that sounds pretty fucking cool. Like, mm. that sounds awesome. And I ended up going in and talking to my recruiter. Uh, he was an infantryman, uh, slick sleeve, never deployed. I don't know how. This is in 2010. The war on terror had been going on for yeah, nine it years. Should have, it should have been a red flag. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I talked to him, took the ASVAB. I scored like pretty good on it you know nothing crazy it was a 72 like i'm not a fucking genius but i'm not i'm smarter than a rock and he showed me the list of all the jobs i was qualified for and i was like don't need to see it i want to join the infantry and he's like are you fucking serious and i was like i swear (laughs) to god and he's like all right well on one condition he printed out the list of all the jobs i could have and he's like take this home to your dad look him in the eye and tell him out of all these jobs you're choosing the infantry and i was like he already knows like i'm making this very clear I got my ass chewed yeah. by my grandma. She hated the fact that I was joining the infantry. Um, but I, I loved the idea of being frontline combat. Um, it sounded fun. It sounded like a rush. And, you know, I was 18 or actually 17 when I joined. I was in the recruiting office on my 17th birthday. And, yeah. I mean, I, I was super boot. I was like, I want to kill these motherfuckers. And that was, <laughs> that rang so true in my heart. Um, yeah. So I ended up 
I joined the infantry, went to maps, all that good stuff. Uh, I left for basic training seven days after I graduated high school. I was 17 still. I turned 18 in basic training. Um, so young. Oh, so, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I had haired past my shoulder blades. So the night before I went to basic training, uh, I kind of got a buzz cut. My brother did it. Uh, and I was drinking a Mike's Hard Lemonade as he did it. So, and I feel, I feel like you saying that your hair was long isn't quite fair. It doesn't quite do it justice. It doesn't quite do it justice. It and was, you're going to send me a picture I'm going to put it on here because the world deserves to see yeah, 17-year-old Eric. Eric Clark. Coffee actually yeah. commented on a picture I had on Facebook yeah. that was old. And like I, it, I can't remember exactly what the comment was, but it was like something like that hair looks dot, 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 dot soft or something along Dude, those lines it was like it was like it's like l'oreal just yeah. like just like yeah. flowing locks it wasn't like you just had like grungy long hair it was, oh it was beautiful it hair. Was, it, was, it, was, it was golden sunrise and i mean beautiful. the bad part about like like i said like fabricating and welding was a huge thing so that hair had been on fire i mean <laughs> it had spark shot into it i just bought my bronco which was a giant piece of shit so it had yeah. every kind of automobile fluid you can think of in it bearing grease atf oil you name it it's been in that hair <laughs> and uh aussie shampoo that shit works that's good shampoo um so yeah cut my hair right before i went uh went to basic training all that good stuff and the whole time i was in basic training all i talked about is how much i hated georgia it was the worst place on earth could not stand nice. it. had you been to georgia Same. never nope i'd never been to georgia and uh we were doing one of the courses and one of the privates was like checking names as we had to do this specific thing i think he was on a uh, profile or something like that. So basically, as we went through, he would check off our name to prove that we did it. And uh, apparently, on that list, it also had our orders for those of us that had gotten them. And mm. he was like, I know where you're going. And I was like, No way, man. Where am I going? He's like, You're going to Fort Stewart. And I was like, Huh, I wonder where that is. And then a couple days later, they actually called out our orders in front of everybody in the bay. And mm. they called out Fort Stewart. And I was like, Huh, I wonder where that is. And then he goes, You boys are staying in Georgia. And my uh, heart just sank. I mean, it, <laughs> that was probably like the hardest blow I'd ever taken in my life. I fucking hate Georgia. So, I mean, that really, for a couple of weeks, that took me out of it. I was like, man, this sucks. I don't want to go to Georgia. And eventually I came around to the idea of it. And I was like, well, I don't really have an option. We had one guy that got state orders for Korea and he quit then and there on the spot. <laughs> Done. Chaptered out. Would not go to Korea. It was insane. Really? And I was like, all right, that's not worth it. You know, I'll go and I'll enjoy it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. you know, that's how I ended up at Fort Stewart and uh, ended up going through MRC, all that good stuff, and um, ended up at Bravo 164. And I flew into Fort Stewart the night after you guys flew in from Iraq on your first yeah. on your first deployment. And uh Spent, obviously, I think all the way up until after Christmas block leave on Rear D. And after Christmas leave, that's when I actually got to the unit and got to meet all my wonderful future friends who were (laughs) fucking assholes at first. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the cycle, I guess. Oh, yeah. I feel like one of the things that sucks, because that was a pretty early, I think I was like the second batch of privates to come to those guys after their last deployment to Iraq was in 2007, I think was their, was their previous deployment for their unit. And I just got fucked with relentlessly oh, yeah. for, you know, the, at least the first six months that I was there. And so uh, you guys were the unfortunate position of being that first batch of privates yep. to have people like, you know, Rosales and 
who else was really kind of an asshole? Uh, you were. No. Yeah. No, no. Oh, no. No, no. I was, I was the specialist that privates loved because no, I didn't give no. a shit. After like a month. <laughs> my, my, I, I was so disappointed to hear that you were, you were an asshole to the new privates. I Even wasn't it, an asshole. I was just doing a little bit of hazing. <laughs> I, but I quit real quick. I, I, I was, was, like, I was just dumb. Telling Grace earlier, like, I mean, for that first like two weeks, I like I hate to say it, you were one of the people that I fucking hated. Like <laughs> when I saw you, my blood just boiled. And I'm not gonna lie, like one of the turning points that like almost made me like you a little more was the banana situation because that was yeah. clever. It was funny, and it wasn't really mean. It was more degrading than anything. But I was like, that's a very creative way to fuck with somebody. And uh, and then all of a sudden, it was like a flip of a switch, and I'm assuming that's when you decided you didn't really care for fucking with privates. And then all of a sudden, you were one of the coolest motherfuckers on earth. And yeah. if you want to know the banana story, subscribe to the Patreon. Subscribe to the Patreon. And we will, it'll, be, it'll be a bonus content. Because... Uh, that leaves a lot open to interpretation. Yeah, <laughs> yep. uh, we're gonna add. We're creating. We're the gonna mystery. leave it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's you know, obviously looking back on it now, you know, it's a little embarrassing to hear that stuff because I had kind of forgotten about it. But it was short lived. It was because man, I mean, I just got tormented as a private. I mean, it was just relentless uh, for for months and months and months because we had a couple of specialists that were total dickheads. Yep. But um, it was. After a little bit, and I kind of got it on my system, I was like, this is dumb. This is like military, you know, frat boy stupid. It was. And that. I mean, I believe in a little bit of hazing. I do. A little bit. It really good jest. I, it toughened me up. It really did. For an 18-year-old kid, you know, coming straight out of high school, it definitely does toughen you up a little bit. I was so yeah. happy that I deployed like a week after I got to the unit. Yeah, that I didn't have yes. to deal with that shit. You guys yeah, didn't nobody get fucking I remember being angry. Because Prez, like, did 10 push-ups in the field, and that was it. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, <laughs> let's smoke the balls off this guy. Like, I want to see him cry. <laughs> and that's why the Army's toxic. <laughs> and chances yeah. are, I really do think, I, I, I'd like to think I would have gone the route Coffee did. Like, fuck with him for a little bit. And I really, I don't think it would have been for me. I don't see myself doing that. So, so what we really want to do today is, you have a really unique um, and incredible story. Mm-hmm. In that uh, you were one of the uh, the un you were one of the lucky few that got to leave early from our deployment. Yeah, um, <laughs> lucky's the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we want to really want to talk about your story and then kind of focus in on the aftermath of your story because it's something that not a lot of people went through, but it's as much a part of the Panjoy story as walking around Panjoy because you had to serve the consequences. Yep, walking around Panjoy is what got me here. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so. We'll kind of set the stage a little bit, and then you know, I we are kind of dying to to hear your 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 side of yeah uh, what happened to you, um, and then we really want to go into what it was like after. So sounds like a plan. Uh, the day was August twenty third, yeah, uh, two thousand twelve, and I believe the brief was this is going to be an easy mission. Um, we were supposed to be mounted, so we're very small element, four or five trucks. Uh, we were sitting south of Sperwingar, kind of as a quick response force for an air assault that was happening in the mountains, ten miles away. Yep. Uh, we were just there in case they ran into something. We could real quick drive up the wadi and and come up and give them backup. What we didn't know was that also at the same time that uh, Charlie Company, Comanche Company, uh, one two three, was out on a dismounted patrol just to the 
east, east uh yep. like east northeast of zangabad yep um and they they hit a daisy chain ied uh and had a very serious mass mass casualty situation terrifying just terrifying situation yeah and yeah. as a result of our uh where we were positioned we were the quickest responding force in the ao because we were already in trucks so we could literally just turn to you and in 15 minutes we could be out of trucks walking up there and so that's what we were instructed to do we we turned around we drove up past Spurwangar, or I think we drove through Spurwangar yep. and back out the north gate, uh, took a left and headed west on Hyena, and then dismounted just north of a scrag of rock called uh, Zangabad Gar, which we've talked about in, in previous episodes. Um, very small element. We had, uh, I think, nine or ten guys. Max, no A&A. No A&A, no, no Afghan us, support. No this Afghan was a rescue partners mission. at all, yeah. Um, and we, we talked about a little bit of this in, in the episode with Matt Kohler, but that was from one point of view, and we're yep. going to talk about more from your point of view. <laughs> yeah. So what do you remember about hearing the starting? Because it didn't happen all at once. Like, we start to hear the radios moving. Yeah. We start to realize we might be going somewhere. Like, can you talk about how that built up, what you remember at least? So from what I remember of that day uh, is originally we were staged out on the HLZ. Because for the first like three hours, three or four hours of that mission, we were if we were QRFing, it was going to be an air in. We were, they were going to fly us in. Um, yeah, I have my handy dandy Afghanistan notebook, and it's <laughs> it's funny because the last set of notes are obviously the notes for the mission. Uh, but yeah, we had to be out at the HLZ at uh, three thirty in the morning, and we were staging mm-hmm. there. And then at five thirty, we SP'd to ACP one. Um, so we hung out in the HLZ and then we get out to, uh, ACP one, which that's a, I forgot that existed. So yeah. <laughs> me too. And ACP one yeah. was a, it was an Afghan local police mm-hmm. checkpoint just to the South of Spurwangar, just literally built out of HESCO barriers in the middle of open, nothing fancy, nothing <laughs> fancy, pretty austere, but they also didn't take a whole lot of contact no. there because it was just yeah. in the middle of the desert. There wasn't really anything around it. So yeah. they had lots to stand off. They didn't really get messed with too much there. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Uh, so yeah, we were staged up, and fuck, it felt like we were there for god hours. Hours. And uh, yeah. I think I was in the lead truck that day, uh, gunning the crow, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's one thing. If I'm wrong about anything, just call me out immediately because I forget a lot of shit. I mix things up. Yeah. No um, but I remember I was gunning the crow in the lead truck, and then you know we start to hear about this mass cow, and then next thing you know, it's like, okay, we're gonna go help these dudes. And I was like, really, what about the dudes that we're supposed to be, you know, here for in case something happens? And I don't know what the thought process was there. So, yeah, next thing you know, we start movement over towards them. Um, And then we get out of the truck. I was the lead clearing guy. That was kind of my job damn near the entire deployment was lead clearing. Um, So we jumped out of the truck and uh, I was getting my kit ready and everything. Because typically if I'm gunning the crow, I didn't have my rack on. I just had my plate carrier um so i'm getting my rack on i'm getting everything all set up and uh i think we started the movement around noon or one in the afternoon i mean i think it was early afternoon uh just hot as fuck i mean brutal hot and immediately after starting our movement we're already in great bros and you know for the most part nothing crazy happened on the movement um, it was a ball smoker. It was miserable. Um, and it's taking us forever to get there. Like this was like a one click movement and it, w- it wasn't supposed to be 
like if I remember correctly, it was supposed to be like a 200 meter movement. Um, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? So I'm swinging this mine hound, just swinging and swinging, doing my thing. And like, it's, I don't know, probably an hour, hour and a half into the movement. Uh, I mean, I'm smoked. I am getting my ass kicked. And, um, we ended up taking a short halt and I asked for a switch out. I did. Uh, which is something I don't think I did very often. Um, but I was done. I mean, I was toasted. And basically what I was told was not right now. You'll get a switch out later. And I was like, that's fucking bullshit, but whatever. Um, and, and I would have been the switch. Out. Yeah. So grace yeah. would have been the guy taking over for me. And I remember saying some things to the person in charge. I, I don't know if I actually did or not. I remember saying something about, all right, well, if I get blown up, it's on you. I remember saying something along those lines or hold that somebody said something like that. Um, and we ended up where we took that little short house. There was like this little tiny little courtyard type thing, a uh, big old wall, like a little wall over here, I think. But basically there's this little tiny courtyard and there was a wall and it had a hole in it. We were in a, we were in a grape row, man. You see, I don't yeah, remember. We were, we were in a, we were in a grape row. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the platoon was like on a goat path leading up to that, that hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. so there was that big wall in front of us with that gap in the wall. Yep. It was probably 300 yards wide left to right with us, that one gap, but we were in a grape field. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, the number one rule is you never take the path of least resistance. You don't. Yeah. If you got to blow down a fucking wall, you blow down a wall because they're going to put IEDs there. Um, but at the time, I don't remember thinking it was a bad idea. Like, I was so fucking tired. And supposedly, they were only like another hundred yards away. Like, we were close. And I was mm-hmm. like, just fucking go. Just get there. And I mean, and we were basically being told, stop your movement from one side. You know, like, we're almost packed up here. We don't really need the help anymore. And as I've said, I don't, this is how I remember it. And I don't know if I'm right or not. Um, and I just remember thinking this is fucking bullshit. And that's all I could think. Mm. So finally, I'm just like, fuck it. Let's go. Um, start clearing. Took one wrong step. And uh, next thing I know, the first thing I felt, it wasn't my legs. It wasn't like my hands. The very first thing I felt was heat and rocks hitting me in the face. That was the mm. very first thing. And then, uh, I mean, brief blackout, very brief, like a second or two. And then I don't remember like flying through the air or anything like that, but I remember hitting the fucking ground. And I was on the other side of this wall and the rest of the platoon. There's now a giant dust cloud. They're behind me. I'm on this road by myself. And the very first thing I could think of was some motherfucker's going to poke around this corner and light me up with an AK. I don't know why, but that was the very first thing I thought was like, great, I just got blown up and I'm probably about to get shot too, which had never happened before. Like they had never planted an IED and like had some dude waiting like, oh, I'm going to fuck this dude up after. Yeah, but we don't we don't know that they wouldn't have done it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's yeah. like the first thing I thought. And uh, and then I hear Holt screaming my name, like um, just screaming it. And I couldn't yell back. Like my mouth was so full of dirt and everything. And I, I was trying so hard to yell back because I didn't want you guys to think I was dead. 
And I'm trying to scream and trying, and I can't fucking do it. And meanwhile, Holt is continuing to just scream my name. And uh, that was like one of the most painful things I've ever gone through. Um, just that alone. Because um, Holt and I had a very strong connection. Um, two people that in the civilian world never in a million years would have hung out. I never would have mm-hmm. tried to get to know him. I mean, he was like your North Florida redneck hillbilly, you know, gangster. Uh, but he was a great fucking dude. Um, and then I remember laying there and I'm trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And I mean, I was already smoked before this happened. Adrenaline didn't do shit at that point. I mean, I was done. I, I couldn't even lift myself up. Um, and then it was either you or Evans that it was either coffee or Evans that were to me first. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was me. Um, Evans was right behind me. That's what I thought. Yeah. And uh, next thing I was like, I'm on the ground. And then that's when like the pain started. And I was like, holy shit, this sucks. Um, But it was burning. It wasn't like, I mean, I've broken plenty of bones in my life. It wasn't that kind of pain. It was just straight burning across every square inch of my body. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I remember asking coffee. I'm like, what's missing? And if I remember correctly, I got to stop saying that. Um, you you wouldn't tell me what was missing. You just kept telling me I was going to be fine. And I was like, I know I stepped on a fucking bomb. I need to know what the damage is. And then mm-hmm. I think I grabbed onto either your coffee's vest or somebody else's vest. And I kind of pulled myself up a little bit with my right hand. And I saw, I saw my knee on my left leg. And I was like, cool, my knee's there. And then I saw two twigs sticking out of uh, a bloody stump. And I was like, that's not great, but I have my knee. That's cool. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, I wasn't that calm, but that's kind of the thought process at yeah. the time. You know, I was like, good, I still have my knee. And I look over my right leg, and the way I remember it is like my, it looked normal, like from hip to thigh, it was totally normal. Like my knee was in the right place and everything, but my foot was like 90 degrees flat on the ground. And I was like, that's not good. And I mean, it was just a bloody mess. And um, I mean, knew it was shattered. And the way I saw it, I was like, that leg is getting amputated. Like, I am mm-hmm. a double, you know, below knee now. Um, and I kind of laid back a little bit. And at that point, I didn't quit. But, I, you know, I was like, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to lay here and let these guys do their thing. Um, and then Doc was trying to push an IV, but he couldn't find a vein. And I remember him pulling out that fucking inner osseal. And I was like, No colloquially called a fast one yep <laughs> um and uh inner is basically it's one big needle surrounded by lots of little tiny needles and what you do is you take that and you smash that down into someone's sternum it's the quickest way to pu- push fluids and i saw his arm going back and i was like no 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 and boom and uh i was like holy shit i didn't feel that and we there's a video that circulated around the base uh from a couple months back of an afghan national fighter getting wounded and he got a fast one in the video. And I remember Doc saying, you know, it doesn't typically hurt when you stab. It hurts when you push fluids. So he hit me and I was like, oh, that didn't hurt. And then I was like, wait, Doc says it hurts when you push fluids. And uh, it actually ended up never bothering me, which was kind of cool. Uh, hmm. So Doc got that fast one in there. Um, I'm laying on the ground. You guys are bandaging me up. And then um, I was kind of laying there and I had my hand... And I kind of flopped it against something. I was like, holy fuck, that hurt. Uh, 
And that's when I looked up and I, I didn't know my hand had gotten damaged. And then I looked at it and uh, Evan says it was my octopus hand because it was all fucking blah, blah, blah. It was. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I looked at it and I mean, it was fingers dangling. There were bones sticking out there. Were, I, I saw tendons. I mean, it was yeah. literally like holding a firecracker in your hand. That's basically how it looked. And that hurt. That that one really hurt. Like the legs was bad, but the hand was that was devastating. Um mm. and then uh for years I wondered who said this, and I recently found out it was my good friend Curtis Grace. Three months before I deployed, I bought my dream guitar. I bought a Gibson Les Paul Alpine White with gold hardware. I remember and, you buying that. Oh, that thing was a fucking beaut. I'd wanted that since I was like twelve. And uh, all I remember someone saying was, man, I don't think you're going to be able to play guitar anymore. And that thought hadn't even crossed my mind yet. I was just pissed off that I fucked up my hand. And then I was like, oh, my God, guitar. Yeah, I'm an asshole. Sorry about that. Yeah, while I'm laying <laughs> on the ground, Grace had to bring that up. Oh, I, me- I remember saying it while we were carrying you. So if someone said it to you while you were laying on the ground, then it wasn't me. Oh, uh, well, obviously, I-, I don't remember the exact timeline of everything. but no, That was know. definitely had to it, be it, you. It had to be me. <laughs> it was within an hour of being wounded. Yeah, that, that was, that was yeah. the no filter, insensitive kind of shit that I would say. So yeah. I apologize. And but, but. What are you doing right now? I, I'm currently learning how to play left-handed. See? Eight years later. Yeah. There we go. Um, there you go. I was wrong. Continue. But you can't Sorry. flip a Les Paul. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, so yeah, the hand thing, that like, that fucking hurt. Um, and then my right hand just had like some cuts and bruises across the top. You know, a little more than cuts and bruises. But uh, it wasn't anywhere near as fucked up. So, um, next thing you know, I think you guys got me onto the litter. And my right leg wasn't strapped down because like if the strap went all the way across, it would be like running across the bones that were sticking out on my left leg or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Or like it was strapped across the thigh, but not across the shin. And I mean, I just so happened to get wounded in the shittiest spot on earth. I mean, it was a miserable area. Uh, The grape rows were all severely overgrown. Uh, I don't know how far the medevac site was, but it wasn't close. No, it was about a click movement, if I remember correctly. I mean, and the, I mean, the thing was with the grape rows was they were facing the wrong way. So typically you could yeah. walk down a grape row the length of it. Um, and for some reason, these, the grape rows went all the way to the wall. There was no way to, so we were going up and over. Up and over. Individual yeah. grape rows. Not the whole way, because we never, we would have died yeah. if we did a click movement like that. But we were going up and over was way more walls click? than we normally would have. I remember being like 150 this, this yards. No, way, no it wasn't that it far. Felt, it wasn't it that close. It felt like a quick, a click. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'd have maybe I have to measure it out. It you guys have a better idea than I do. We I couldn't see it. It was it was a really far movement. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it wasn't a click. What am I talking about? There's no way it was a click. It, yeah, I think it was, it was a click. Probably, we all would have. It just was probably like, 150, 200 meters. I don't know. I don't know. It, it felt. It, it felt, felt real long. Like, anyways, yeah, it felt it's real irrelevant. long. The point <laughs> yeah. is, it was it's, a long. It's irrelevant. Yeah, it, it was a bad and a long and a hard movement to make. Yeah, it was. It was not good. And um, I mean, the whole platoon is already smoked. We were done as a whole. We were done. And then this happened. And then it's the shittiest movement on earth. Um, I know guys were rotating out, carrying that thing left and right. And yeah, we, had, Gra- we had to. Yeah, Grace was clearing, and. Uh, Evans, I remember I saw Evans a lot carrying um, up front, or maybe not a lot, but I remember seeing him once when my leg yeah, fell he, off and it hit a grape row, and I just fucking lost it. I mean, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Uh, it, it was fucking horrible. 
And just to, to clarify for the listeners, the, the leg that hurt the most was the right leg. Yeah. The one <laughs> the one that was still technically still attached. Yeah, the amputated one wasn't too bad. Yeah. But the jello leg was pretty shitty. Yeah. Um and I remember seeing Evans hoisting me up. I remember seeing Coffee hoisting me up. Um I, I remember seeing Grace the whole time clearing. And uh Holt's pretty fucked up because when I got blown up, he got a pretty bad TBI he was, and he took yeah, a bunch of shrapnel to the face. And um so I know he was like kind of wonky, but he was sneaking me water when no one was looking because I had so much dirt in my mouth and I was asking for water and no one would give it to me because they want you to drink before you go into surgery. Right. But I'm like, it's to get the fucking dirt out of my mouth. And Holt finally like snuck over with his camelback and gave me a couple rinses out. And uh, as we were moving, I kept closing my eyes because the sun was bright and I got, uh, turns out I ended up getting multiple corneal lacerations uh, so there was damage to the eye and the sun was very bright and motherfuckers kept giving me sternum rubs cause I was closing my eyes. I get it 100%, but I'm like, fuck, say something, ask my name before you just start giving me a sternum rub. Uh, yeah, we secretly always just want to do those. Yeah. So given the opportunity to, <laughs> yeah, well, you to guys do that, fucking we should nuts. <laughs> we should explain what exactly a sternum rub is. I mean, it explains itself, but I feel like we need the, we need the description. In there. Yeah. I mean, so here, let me give, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do this. Um, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you end up taking your knuckles and making them look something like that, and you just literally press down on the Rake. sternum as hard as you can and rub it back and forth. And it yeah. is, yeah. especially when you have a quick one, it's pretty fucking uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty yeah. uncomfortable. It's, I mean, it's pretty painful, but not like painful in like a a permanent way. It's just yeah. like, it's a, hey, wake up. Well, yeah, it's a the, common the, move used by like EMTs, paramedics to judge the consciousness of a person. Yeah, like yeah. that's what it's for. Okay. So, uh. We finally get through like the super shitty movement and we finally get to the HLZ. And all I really remember from that was uh, when the bird came in, obviously you guys all sheltered me. Mm-hmm. You covered me up and uh, Holt gave me some more water and we ended up, uh, they load, you guys loaded me up onto the bird. And as we were taking off, I, I kept like my left thigh hurt so bad. I mean, it was miserable and i kept like hitting the flight medic and like hitting my thigh you know you can't talk in a helicopter it's you can't hear anything yeah so i was trying to signal that like there's something wrong with my thigh in hindsight it was the tourniquet yeah yeah but at the time that didn't make sense i was like i didn't think my thigh got fucked up (laughs) yeah um and i kept like trying to get his attention he's like taking care of me he's taking care of holt and uh if i remember correctly holt um ended up holding my hand for a <laughs> uh, good portion of that. And then I, I like kept harassing the flight medic. And then finally he like just gave me a thumbs up and I'm like, you fucking dick. Like, I don't want a thumbs up. And next thing you know, he pulled out a needle, shot it into my IV and then just black done. I mean, nothing after that. Uh, did, did you ever notice that the fact that they weren't army? Nope. Nope. Sure yep. didn't. No, nope, mm-hmm. they were they were Air Force. Yep, they sure were. Nope. You got you got to live with that PJs. the rest of your life, you know. But at least they were PJs. <laughs> like, yeah, at least they were PJs. Yeah, that makes it somewhat so okay. Good. Like, yeah. all right, well, the most badass people in the Air Force saved me, so right, you know right. that that doesn't make me feel quite as bad. Um, <laughs> were, they, were they PJs or were they SF? No, they were PJs. Were they? Okay, okay, as I keep getting conflicted stories about it. I don't know. SF don't fly helicopters, man. Come on. Yeah, and I had no That's idea true. it was PJs <laughs> until like two or three years ago is when you told me. Oh, I really? thought it was just a regular Army Blackhawk pilot. No, it was it was Pedro, or, man. They uh they came in with their 
freaking minigun or 50 cal sticking out the side. Like it's it kind of trippy to see a gray helicopter with machine guns landing to pick up a casualty. Yeah, yeah. I had <laughs> no idea they were PJs. Um, well, I knew I knew their Air Force because they were complaining about a tree the size of a <laughs> freaking marijuana plant blocking them from being able to land their 20,000 pound helicopter. There's a tree in the HLZ. And like Tom walks over to the tree and kicks it over. It's like that tree. <laughs> like Roger, we're coming back in. It's like, Come on, guys. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me oh, too much. Man. Yeah, I mean that that movement I think is one of the things that sticks with all of us the most. Um, yeah. Because we were so small. Yep. I mean, everyone. If you didn't have, if you weren't, if you didn't have a saw in your hand, you carried. We carried you at some point. And even Luke and I swapped swapped out clearing. You know, I carried you sometimes. He cleared sometimes. It was back and forth that whole movement. Um. Yeah, and I we said we were is up close and personal. I mean, a lot of times when guys got hurt, it would be far from the formation. And mm-hmm. if you weren't a medic or you weren't the net guy next to him, you may not have, may not have had a part. And we were all <laughs> had a part. You know, we Everybody. all got to see it. Um, yeah. And you were in such pain. That was bad. Uh, I... And we were so tired, and it was just incredibly difficult for us physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, it and was when, bad. And when we were done, when you were gone, like we're like, we're still like. A click and a half, yeah. two clicks from the road. We have to go back. <laughs> and we're out of water. Everyone's tired. Even Sergeant Ott stopped drinking coffee. That's how bad it was. Yeah. And that, <laughs> I mean, for those of you that don't yeah. know Sergeant Ott, that's like a holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. He stopped <laughs> yeah. drinking coffee. And uh, th- I think, obviously, we were we were upset about what was going to happen to you. But it was incredibly impactful for us because of the, the, the difficulty of of that movement, yeah i mean so. the the entire movement was miserable from the beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> and i remember right like just before you got hit we were going up and over zangabad gar and i was just waiting to take contact mm-hmm. i was like there's there's a squad of us out here there's eight nine of yep. us out here so i'm just waiting to take contact uh so we, we were pushing over the hill and getting into that little tactical pause there it was a weird moment but uh i think from my perspective of this whole this whole thing is i was probably four or five people back and i remember looking up front because obviously i was looking out because i was waiting to take contact and i was looking up front and i saw you and holt kind of having a back and forth with a couple of folks in the front and then uh i didn't see you step through the wall but obviously, you know, they heard the explosion, which obviously drew my attention right yeah, away. It was a good indicator that something just happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this was probably, I mean, you're probably like 20 meters away. And uh, I just remember turning and like I knew it was you. Yeah. You know, and so, and then I seen Holt kind of like stumble out of the dust cloud. Obviously, his noodle had been ra- uh, rocked pretty hard and he was pretty severely concussed. And so, because it was, I think because it was you, I knew it was you, man. I just started hauling ass. I had to get to you. And uh, I pushed up, and I remember slinging the Gustav off, and I think somebody helped me get it off. Maybe Kohler helped me get it off. I can't remember. I don't know why. It was like my, in my brain. I was like, i got to get the Gustav off first. I don't know why that, that was a thought for me. But, I mean, I remember getting to the edge of that dust cloud, and I stopped for a minute because the dust hadn't settled yet. Yeah. And I was looking around, like, trying to find you. And it settled enough that I could see like the form. And the only way I can describe it is it looked like dust had just been sifted over your entire body. It was like really that fine powdery yeah. dust, you know, and it would have been sifted over your body and you were, you were dead still. And I was like, I thought you were dead, dude. That's what Doc yeah. said too. Yeah. I mean, cause you weren't moving at all. 
So my gut just dropped to my feet and I thought, fuck, like Clark's dead. And, but as soon as I thought that you started to kind of move around and, and groan and stuff. And so, but I thought the same thing you thought is like this reeks of ambush. You know, yeah. I was just waiting to get hit because you would, on the other side of that wall, it was like a little, it was just like a road and like a ditch and then a yeah. wall. And so I, it was just the perfect place to get caught into a funnel. Very vaguely remember the layout through that wall and mm-hmm. that, I mean, obviously we both thought the same thing. So maybe there was yeah. potential there. I mean, definitely, man. They, I think if somebody had been nearby and was tracking on us, that was their chance to hit us. But so it reeked of ambush. Yeah. So I remember the first thing for me was just getting a hold of you and just pulling you back and getting you back down into like kind of halfway into the grave row off the edge of that uh, go path. And by that point, Tom was there with me. And so I, I slapped a, a tourniquet on as quick as I could right after I got you pulled back. Then Tom was kind of taking care of you up on the front end. And then, uh, he just, I just grabbed gauze from everywhere I could. I think I grabbed out my IFAC, your IFAC, uh, Tom's IFAC, and was just trying to pack in your wound, man. But I just remember, yeah, you know, we don't want to get too terribly graphic, but you're, <laughs> he's here, he's fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and this is a big portion of why I really wanted to do this and look forward to this because I've never heard this from your perspective, yeah. Coffee. And it's, okay. I want to, I, I, you know, I want to know everything about that that I can. Yeah. So, you know, I pulled you back. Me and, you know, Tom's kind of checking in on you at, at the top end, but I knew I needed to get a tourniquet on. I slapped one on, but I had that first thought too. It's like, okay, your knee's still here. But then I started to like pick up the rest of your leg. And the, what made it so difficult to treat was that just below your knee uh, on the, if it was your left leg. So just below your knee, it, like your skin had split. Yeah. And it had kind of like rent down to into your calf muscle. And then your was it your fibula and your tibula or tib and fib what are those two bones yeah tibula fibula yeah the, the fibula they were they were jutting out jagged like you said but your calf muscle was like kind of splayed open and hanging off of all of that and so the you know the, the um the training you get at least in army like medical training is um you know stuffed gauze mm-hmm. but when this when the when the wound is like a renting of the flesh and then your your calf muscle is literally hanging in my hands and to this day every time i cut chicken it reminds me of that <laughs> i'm telling you man it's like if you were just take a, a chicken breast and you can like cut it and just cover it in viscera that's what it felt like and uh and i just remember taking gauze and like basically sticking it up into where your flesh had blown, blown apart and in between your bones and that was and like one time i actually hit your one of your bones and you were like oh shit like it that that caused you some pain you know so i was like how do i do this like how do i pack gauze into a wound that can't be packed so i just started wrapping it as much as i could and just getting and then we got an israeli bandage on there just i just wrapped and wrapped and wrapped trying to just get it to hold together yeah so it was that was the beginning of that movement for us and the movement which just destroyed us man i mean Mm -hmm. that smoked the ever-living crap out of us i i remember trying to carry you up and over rows, I would get, I would get smoked. Evan stuck with you pretty much the entire time. Like you, you, you will remember well that he was there hauling your ass pretty much the I, entire time. But the rest of us, yeah. we had to rotate out. Yeah. I'd have to try to rotate out with Curtis and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll sleep for a little bit. But then that would smoke me. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'll it go wasn't back to help and carry Clark. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't any better. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was just rough time, man. I definitely remember you being like, 
I've always remembered that you were the first one there. It was always mm-hmm. coffee was the first one there. Um, and then Evans, I remember him kind of leading the charge on carrying me out. And uh, fun fact, August 23rd just so happens to be Tom Evans' birthday as well. Oh, yeah. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy birthday, Tom. I think it was like his 24th or 25th birthday or something like that. So that's how he spent mm-hmm. his birthday that year. Yeah. Was dragging my ass out of a <laughs> goddamn great bro. So every, yeah. it's kind of fun. Every year we call each other and I'm always like, happy birthday, man. And he's like, happy alive day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, that's a good tradition. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that was... That was fucking terrible. That whole thing start to finish. And um, so on the bird, get knocked the fuck out. And then I wake up and I have no idea how much time has passed. But in my mind, I had just gotten wounded like right. hour or so before. And then I wake up and there's this nurse there. And literally the first thing I ask is where is Holt? And uh, she's like, we don't have a Holt here. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Where the fuck is Holt? And she's like, I will go look, but I'm telling you now there's no Holt here. And I was like, that's impossible. He just got medevaced with me. Yeah. And she goes, honey, do you know where you are? And I was like, Kandahar Airfield. She's like, no, you're in Bagram. And I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I was like, what? and she was like, you got wounded two days ago. I was like, wow. oh, I've been out for a while. I can't believe they kept you in country that long. It was something like that. It mm-hmm. might have only been a day or two. It was a day or two, something yeah, like still, that. Still, though. That's still crazy. long enough to get you to Bagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, okay. And minutes after waking up, they're like, do you want to call anybody? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to do that. Um, so I called my dad. And turns out my dad had just found out like an hour and a half, two hours before because he was the kind of person mm. that would ignore calls from numbers he didn't know, and he wouldn't listen to the voicemails either. So then the army ended up have, having to somehow get a hold of my mom, who we had no contact with, who then got hold of my aunt, which my aunt had no contact with my mom, because long story, long story. Um, so that's a, that's a different podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> my, if I remember correctly, my aunt kind of ignored a couple of calls from my mom. And then finally, like, you know, what does this lady want or something? And answers, and she's like, oh, shit, uh, and calls my dad. And my dad answers a call from Jonna, and my aunt's like, hey, when your son's in a war zone, you should probably answer the fucking phone every now and then. Yeah. And uh, so I guess that's how he found out. So I talked to him not too long after that, and it was very brief. You know, I was yeah. pretty fucked up. And it was basically like, I'm alive. I'll call you when I can. Bye. Yeah. Um, And then I fell asleep again, and then I woke up in Germany in launch stool uh to somebody performing an ultrasound on my testicles that's how i woke up hmm. that's how i like to wake up just, was, that's just, not a bad way to wake up <laughs> just saying after getting All blown up do. and somebody's doing something around your nuts that's a terrifying way to wake up i oh, mean no. terrifying <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess if that person's a stranger and you don't know where you are yeah i'm yeah, like oh my god back. and like because they had like a little curtain up or something like that and i uh, i was like what the fuck and then uh this dude like pops his head up and he's like Hey, and I was like, what are you doing? Uh, he's oh, just an ultrasound on your testicles. And I was like, are they okay? And he's like, just some soft tissue damage. <laughs> and I'm like, what does soft tissue damage it's mean? It's all soft yeah, tissue, man. It's all soft. <laughs> yeah, that's all I can think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, just bruising. They're swollen. Everything's there. You have nothing to worry about. And I was like, cool. 
Um, and then some nurse came in. She's like, hey, do you want to use my iPad? Is there anyone you want to talk to? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I got on the iPad and I just like kind of scrolled Facebook. I don't think I actually, the only person I think I messaged was my best friend, Casey, because uh, he and I deployed on the same day. He deployed out of Fort Carson. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually got to see him in Manus, which was fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I messaged him and told him I was okay. And for him to like pass the message along to everybody else. And that was about it. And then I was conscious pretty much the rest of the time I was in Germany. Uh, got on the plane to Andrews, and I was pissed off because it was a long flight, and they wouldn't give me any water. And they're like, you're going into surgery. As soon as you hit Walter Reed, we can't give you any water. And I was like, that's 13 fucking hours away. Give me a bottle of water. We can't do it. So I was in a very bad mood the entire time, and I was probably less than polite to everybody on that flight crew. Um, so if you guys remember me and hear this, I'm sorry. And then uh, landed in Andrews, gate dropped. And the first thing that happened was some dude like walked up. He was like an E7. Walked up and like threw this $500 gift card and like this piece of paper on my chest. And he's like, this is to buy whatever you need for the time being. And I was like, what the fuck? Uh, okay. Um, got me off the bur- plane. Threw me in like this, you know, those American Red Cross like blood mobiles yeah it was like that mm-hmm. size but it was an ambulance and you know it had tons of litter racks on the walls i think it hauled like six dudes that's crazy man yeah that is crazy <laughs> yeah Jeez. the fact that the infrastructure is there is just like really yeah. sad you know I'd, and you always knew when wounded guys showed up because you'd see that thing coming through the gate with lights and sirens on you're just like fuck you know there's mm-hmm. another four dudes that just got mm-hmm. ate up um and we landed in rush hour, so it took forever to get to Walter Reed. You know, turns out people in D.C. don't give a fuck about the ambulance behind them with lights and sirens for the most part. Um, Shocker. Yeah. And then got to Walter Reed, and that first, like, probably four or five hours at Walter Reed were in just miserable. Um, they bounced me around from room to room, x-ray here, CT scan there, like back and forth and back and forth. And they were moving me from bed to bed every time. So they were picking me up with a sheet and moving me. And I mean, my left leg was covered in bandages. My right leg had an X fix on it. Um, what's what's an X fix? So an X fix is an external fixator. Um, and basically what they end up doing is when something is shattered or damaged in the way that my leg was, Basically, it's this metal cage. They drill into the bone that's stable oh, and steady. Yeah, yeah. And on both ends of that fracture, and it's literally like, uh, what are those connect kits you could get as a kid and you could like build cranes and shit? <laughs> yep. Like, yeah. that's kind of what it looked like. So basically, it's just drilled into the solid bone and it fixates your leg so it doesn't move. So I had one of those. Um, my left hand was just, I literally had a dressing up to my shoulder. Uh, I mean, useless. So it was miserable. They were moving me from room to room. I was just getting in a real bad mood real quick. Um, And then 3rd Infantry Division uh, sends up reps. So they're the middleman between these wounded guys at Walter Reed and their home division. (laughs) So my division rep, I had two of them. I had a Sergeant First Class. I'm really sad I can't remember her last name. And then I had an E5, Sergeant Ricks. Uh, So Sergeant Ricks came to introduce himself to me. On that first day, after all this had gone on, and I mean, I was in a shit mood. I was by myself. None of my family was there yet. Um, and he comes in, and he's like, there's like another nurse or surgeon or something in there. And uh, he comes in, and he's like, oh, hello, Specialist Clark. I'm uh, Sergeant Ricks from 3rd ID, just here to introduce myself. And basically, as soon as he said that, I just went, get the fuck out. 
And he did. He was like, I'll come back later. So he turned around and just walked out. And I had zero recollection of that. He told me that about two months later. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. Because he and I actually got along great. He was an awesome dude. I loved Sergeant Ricks. And same cool. for that Sergeant First Class. She was incredible. They both did awesome things for us. Um, but I guess I told him to fuck off when I met him. Um, well, that's one thing we kind of wanted to go into was the the support structure that you received when you after you were wounded. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty unique part of your story. Um, you know, there, there was no shortage of charities and organizations and, you know, like you said, you know, you weren't even having to touch American soil and somebody already throwing a $500 yeah. gift card at you. Um, you know, we wanted to ask you about some of those individual charities, which ones for you were the most impactful, which ones actually did things. And, you know, if, if there were any that you kind of wanted to call out for being, <laughs> being less than, <laughs> You know, and, you know, and and it's it's fair. I mean, we're yeah. not, this this podcast yeah. isn't about calling people out, but um, when it comes to the support of wounded soldiers, if there's organizations that aren't doing doing it right, I I don't have any problem calling that out. So, um, so first and foremost, apparently everybody, and I, I'm gonna feel bad saying this, like blankets. I have so many fucking blankets, right? Because apparently that's what every wounded soldier needs is a blanket. Mm-hmm. I mean. I have a hall closet. I probably have 12 to 15 blankets. And in all reality, I love every single one of them. I do. Yeah. Everyone came from a different organization. Right. Each one's a little bit different. And they're all actually really cool. Um, mm-hmm. So tons of organizations were giving out uh, blankets. Uh, and this was all like literally right after getting wounded. Right. Wounded Warrior Project sent me a fucking backpack with a binder in it. Thanks, guys. You're doing great. <laughs> um, Didn't they also give you... Weren't there socks in there yeah, also? Yeah, probably. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> I mean, it... it it was seriously, it was like a school backpack filled with like school supplies that were all emblazoned with Wounded Warrior Project. Right. Tons of help. Yeah. Um, but for the most part at Walter Reed, uh, I kind of, I, I stayed to myself a little bit, not in the sense that like I didn't make friends, but I didn't ask for help a lot of the time. Um, there were a couple organizations though that just went above and beyond and they are just great people. Um, one of them was the Semper Fi Fund. And I don't know their whole story, but I believe they were like originally created to support Marines. And then they kind of got that thought process. They're like, well, we should kind of probably be helping everybody. But they were helping me long before they started up. They ended up starting up what's called America's Fund. And that's like that broad blanket, you know, across all branches. Um, Immediately, they were helpful. Um, They ended up, uh, when I bought my truck... I bought a brand new 2013 Ford F-150, $39,000. I had a $19,000 grant from the VA to buy a specially adapted vehicle, which basically meant it had to have an automatic transmission and AC for some reason. You know, it's not real hard to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought my F-150. I bought it on my 21st birthday. Um, and then I got back to Walter Reed and I left my truck at home with my mom so she could drive it. And, you know, because I wasn't going to drive it back to right. D.C. Fuck that. No way. Um, Nor could you drive it in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the roads are not built for pickup trucks. Uh, so I get back and um, the lady that ran Semper Five Fund, um, we talked a lot. Like, she was super good to me. But she was like, oh, how was your leave? And I'm like, oh, I bought a truck. She's like, oh, like, emailing me your buyer's ticket and like all that stuff and she was like we'll see what we can do to help you and i was like oh that's really really nice uh they paid ten thousand dollars on my truck loan nice so like at that point i was like oh my god these people are 
awesome. Yeah. Um, so America's Fund and Sipper Five Fund, and America's Fund still stays in contact with me. Um, the lady who runs it, her name is Karen Hetherington. Uh, she still calls me once or twice a year. Um, and they sent like this nice little COVID care box at the beginning of the year. Um, this is eight years ago I got wounded, and they're still doing this. Yeah. Um, and it had like soup, some bread, cookies, crackers. You know, it just had like a little note, like we know times are tough right now. We hope this helps. And I was like. That's a really classy move. Um, but what I really love about them is every year I get a Christmas ornament from them. And it's a different design every year. So <laughs> I, I look forward to that every December. I'm like, what's it going to be this year? Right. And uh, this year it was a, you know how the little red truck, like the late 50s Ford truck is like the symbol of Christmas nowadays. Yeah. Uh, it was that little <laughs> red truck, but it has a golden retriever in the bed with an army helmet on. And uh, for those of you that don't know, I have a golden retriever named Maverick, who is my service dog. So uh, that one was really cool. Yeah. So America's Fund, Simper Five Fund, they're both great people. Uh, there's one there that I didn't use, but they were called Trucking for Troops. And basically their whole premise was getting guys into trucks um, or cars. You know, they didn't really care. Yeah. But they would literally take you down to the dealership. They would work with the dealership to get you a good deal and get you the truck you wanted. And they had this like stupid big F750 like... I mean, it, it was a fucking semi is what it was with the Ford body style. Um, <laughs> and it was emblazoned with their logo. And they did a lot of stuff. They did an awesome kickball charity tur- tournament for Jay, mm-hmm. uh, which I took part in, which was a ton of fun. Uh, they did awesome things. And then there were tons of just random little charities yeah. that would show up. And honestly, I don't remember most of the names. Um, Gary Sinise Foundation. Uh, he Gary Sinise was constantly at Walter Reed. I ran into him. He literally didn't even let anyone know he was coming. I was going down to physical therapy and I ran into him. Like I turned a corner and I'm like, this dude looks real familiar. And I kind of just said, hi, like, excuse me. And then it wasn't until I got around the corner. I was like, motherfucker, that was Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I mean, he also came to our like Super Bowl party and his uh, Lieutenant Dan band did multiple concerts at DC. And I mean, they were a good band. And it, it would be these massive like, fair type things you know there'd be vendors food all sorts of stuff and his band playing and uh i haven't i haven't used him for really anything but after meeting him and everything and you know just how much he does for veterans uh everybody loves gary sinise everybody um and everybody that was a double amputee is dressed up as lieutenant dan at least once I mean, Halloween at Walter Reed was like a Lieutenant Dan contest, right? You know? that, that, that's the that's the the holiday he needs to show up. Yeah, for. he really does. Yeah. For sure. um, so they did they did great work, and then there were all these other charities like Disabled Sports USA. Dennison and I went to Breckenridge for a week. We stayed in a suite. We had a week of snowboarding with paid instructors, and it was all free. Nice. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's that's it, legit. And what was cool about them is they weren't purely military. Like it was anybody who was disabled could go. So you've got people there that like got injured in train accidents. Mm -hmm. Strangely enough, a lot of people lose limbs jumping trains. Like there were like four different people that I talked to that lost limbs jumping trains. I don't know. Just got caught underneath of it or something? Or like why are they jumping trains? I I, and that blew me away. It was surprising to me. Um and on that trip I ran into uh Tech Sergeant Anderson. Or not Anderson. Okay. Was yeah, it yeah, Anderson? Yeah. Anderson, yeah. yeah. The dog handler. Anderson. Yeah. Yep. Dennison and I were outside smoking, and it sounds bad, but I saw his hands. Yeah. And I was like, hey, are you Anderson? He was like, yeah. And I was like, I was first platoon Bravo company. You got wounded with our third platoon. Yeah. And uh, he was like, no shit. And we ended up, you know, we hung out and bullshitted for a little while, and uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so 
there are tons of good charities out there. Disabled Sports USA, America's Fund, Super Five Fund, Trucking for Troops, and obviously tons of others. Um, I don't want to put too much blast on Wounded Warrior Project, but they always made it a photo op. I never actually did anything with them. Uh, this was based off what guys had told me that had gone on trips with them. And they're basically like, you know, if you're an amputee, they want you to wear shorts, you know, to show that we're helping this guy that's missing a leg. And that never sat right with me. So I never, I've never received anything except for that stupid fucking backpack. Um, never went on any wounded warrior trips, never did anything with them. Um, but there were tons of organizations that were just all about getting dudes out. So there were tons of shooting trips. Um, hunting trips, stuff like that. I did do those. And I was telling Grace the day before I got out of the army, I went and did a shoot with the FBI hostage rescue team. And oh, really? that was like the single greatest fucking, I shot a Tommy gun, a full auto, legit, <laughs> real Tommy gun. Oh, um, that's fun. The kind that every red blooded American should have right. in his closet. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I just, all I could think about was having my still in a closet and right. you know, <laughs> doing some illegal shit with it. Throwing it into a, a Chevelle and yeah. racing across the uh, the countryside with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, I mean, Walter Reed was single-handedly the hardest time in my life. There's nothing that will ever be harder than that. Yeah, and that's what I was going to transition into, because, like, the past five minutes made it sound like you were on all-paid, all-expenses-paid <laughs> all vacation, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and and deservedly so, but obviously, you know, you're going on these trips, but in, in between all these trips, there's a lot of hardship. There was. Um so I was inpatient for two months and then, um, we got a non-medical attendant. So the army would basically pay for someone to stay there with you. And a yeah. lot of people chose family. Um, so I chose my older sister who was active duty army at the time. So she gets nine months off right. on TDY and she's just chilling, hanging out with me. Um, That's like the, okay. So like, <laughs> I, I know it's rough on her to, yeah. to have to see what you were going through and like on her personal life and her schedule and like on you as well. But like our military listeners, I know there's a little bit like, oh my gosh, if I could have gotten nine months oh, it to, wasn't just, fun. to just hang out, but there's no way it was fun for yeah. her. I mean, we did have fun together. We, I mean, there, and it was, it was a good chance for her and I to get closer. Yeah. Um, but the first like weekend out of the hospital, they make you do a trial weekend and if you, everything goes fine, you're good to go. So I passed everything, but like that first weekend was so difficult because I was yeah. like actually in a room, you know, it was my space and it was really hard to adjust to that again. And uh, it was like a barracks room, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a very nice barracks room. Yeah. I mean, brand new state of the art appliances. We had a full kitchen. Yeah. I mean, washer, dryer. It was a very nice kind of like apartment, really. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. I had my own room. She had her own room and we had a living room and obviously everything was ADA up to code, sure. you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, so I, essentially the living was good. The only thing that sucked was the fucking barracks were on top of a hill. Yes. Which was great for everybody in wheelchairs. Yeah. Fun going down, terrible coming up. This was, uh, this was building 62. Yeah, building barracks. 62. Okay. The infamous, anybody that knows Walter Reed is immediately going to go, ah, 62. Yep. Um, and go, going to building 62 is like, once you know, you've made it out. Like that's like kind of yeah. part of your transition. Is yeah. Like you're, you're like kind of on your own. You're no longer in the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. You get to be. I mean, more or less a regular human being again. But upon getting out of the hospital, they immediately just overload you with appointments. Yes. I mean, you're back-to-back doctor's appointments. And I'm like, I've spent the last two months laying in a fucking bed. Yeah. I am exhausted at the end of this first appointment. And that was my whole day. It was yeah. nothing but appointments. That was fucking hard. Um, my sister went with me to a lot of them. Uh, there were some that I'm like, I got this. I'm good. You know? Yeah. Um, 
and it, that was that was hard. And they, the Warrior Transition Battalion tried to make us go to formations. So explain mm. what a Warrior Transition Battalion. So is. Warrior Transition Battalion is it, it's a command that basically their whole premise is um, more or less they're babysitting us until we get out of the military. Right. Is kind of how it is. They're there um, to facilitate you transitioning out of the military. Yeah, because you're still in the army. You're right. still a soldier. You're still going to have to deal with paperwork, leave forms, all that good stuff. And that's basically what they were. They were just keeping tabs on us until we left. So you were technically, you technically did a permanent change of station yep. from Fort Stewart yep. to the Warrior Transition Battalion at Walter Reed. Yep. So at that point, you no longer were in Bravo Company 164 anymore. You were part of yep. whatever the, that unit was. On the rare occasion I wore a uniform, I wore the medical badge thing i right. can't remember what it actually was but yeah that was sure. my unit patch yeah. so i was a soldier in the warrior transition battalion um so i was like this is fucking bullshit um it was hard i was so tired all the time yeah. and i'm trying to learn how to do things i mean yeah how long was it before you were walking before you took a step uh so i think my first weight bearing step on my left leg and i was so i was crutching on my left leg but i still wasn't allowed to put weight on my right leg and i think that was about 10 weeks maybe eight eight to ten weeks right. was my first steps on the prosthetic so pretty soon after you got out of the hospital then. Yeah, yeah yeah and it, it was funny that the amputated leg was good to go before the other one but it it makes sense um mm. I, I haven't even said what my injuries actually are yeah, you can go through them real quick. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll just run through them real quick. So, ended up with the left leg below knee. Uh, my right leg, I shattered my calcaneus. Like, if you punched a mirror, that's basically how my heel looked. Yeah. Uh, shattered my ankle, uh, shattered my tib, my fib. The tibial plateau, was the, which is the area right below the kneecap. And it's, I think that's where, like, the tib and fib meet, but I'm not totally sure. Uh, that was shattered. I ended up with three plates and, I think, 19 screws in this leg. The x-rays are super cool because they just, like, glow with all the hardware. Um, <laughs> left hand, lost half my thumb, my entire index finger, 90% of my uh, middle finger. My ring finger is fused, so that's all the movement I have for that entire finger. I can't bend it at all. Uh, lost the tip of my pinky, broke my hand, broke my wrist. Um, traumatic brain injury. Uh, corneal lacerations. I severed my lips were blown open, and part of one was actually kind of hanging off. You probably did you yeah. think you bit your lip when it happened, or just got no? It was it was the ripped. blast. Oh, the blast! Like, when yeah. I shave, yeah. I have scars all the way down here. Like it was. I, oh wow! It was a plastic surgery. Yeah, to fix it. yeah I've wow. forgotten about that, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, tons of soft tissue damage. Um, I had a dual fasciotomy on my right leg due to compartment syndrome, so I have scars kneecap to ankle on both sides of my right leg uh blew out a chunk of my shoulder uh oh yeah took a nice nice chunk out of my right butt cheek uh like when i flex my butt there's literally a divot where it's just gone um now were you wearing eye protection and your diaper i was wearing eye protection okay yeah uh but when the blast comes underneath you yeah yeah, yeah of course doesn't yeah do much uh when it comes to the diaper <laughs> no i was not um not because I didn't want to, not sure. because I thought this thing was stupid. We spun out of the truck so, so fast. fucking fast yeah. that I just yeah. forgot to put it on. Right. Um, so honestly, it's amazing that my uh, manhood did not get damaged at all. Uh, but you were some... wearing the, what they call it, the, the underwear, right? No, fuck no. No, you were wearing boxers. the underwear? No. I, they didn't no, have a I, flap, I so they pissed me shit. off. 
Oh my gosh. Like I'd actually <laughs> undo my pants tough, to man. take a piss. Fuck that. No, I wore regular yeah. boxers. Um, <laughs> I didn't wear them because they were so fucking hot. They were, they were. Really hot. Yeah, they were yeah. not fun to wear. Um, after it, after you got hit, I wore them. I, I I wouldn't blame you. I mean, just about the worst thing I got down there was some scars. And I was like five years later that I saw these scars. And yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to Walter Reed. Sure. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, your, your recovery on your good leg yeah, took a good bit longer it did. because of the, the complexity of those fractures. It took a long time. And the surgery to fix that leg was horrendous. It was like a 13-hour surgery. My epidural failed in the middle of it. Um, and in order to put a new one in, they had to roll me onto my left leg, which was not closed at the time. And it was the single most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. Um, the only thing that got me through it, there's a nurse who was probably in her late forties or something like that. I have no idea what her name is that entire time. It was probably about two hours. Cause we ended up having to do it twice. Cause the second one failed too. Right. Uh, she ran her fingers through my hair. And just whispered to me the whole time, like, just telling me I was doing great. And that is the only thing that kept me going through all of that was that lady. Um, hmm. So right leg took a long time to heal. I think my first weight-bearing steps on both legs was in December. It was like the first week of December, like the last week of November. And uh, it was hard. It was freeing. Um, I remember the day they told me I had 50% weight bearing on my right leg. My physical therapist called me and I tried to walk in our barracks room. My sister took a video of me falling because I just couldn't walk. Yeah. Um, so it took a while. And then the, the, the thing that was hard about it was, you know, it wasn't like once you started walking, you were good. I had setbacks. Yeah. I had two more surgeries or like, God, five more surgeries on my left leg. So I would get to walking and I would start to get the groove down. And then I like, I got a MRSA infection that required a surgery on my nub. Well, anytime you have a surgery, it changes the shape and you have to completely start over after, you know, that time has healed. So Mm -hmm. another surgery that automatically is six weeks of no walking. And then you're starting over again. And that happened to me twice. Um, Happened with the MRSA infection. And then I had a bone infection and they ended up taking like an inch and a half off of it. So that was incredibly hard because this is like nine months in and I'm still not walking. Right. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. is this ever going to fucking end? Yeah. Um, so I remember when I visited you the first time you, you weren't walking. Yeah. I mean, it was all crutching a little around a little bit, but yeah, it, and that was, that was difficult. Um, cause I was 20 at the time. And the next thing you know, I'm wheelchair bound. I'm on crutches. I mean, I was having to ask for help for everything I had to do. Like, I got so tired of asking for help. Uh, I had to take a dump in the hospital and I just gotten like clearance to like transfer to my wheelchair by myself. Anything else I had to call them. And I was like, I'm not calling them. I'm not fucking doing it. And I, I didn't want to get into my wheelchair and I unhooked my IV like, cause they were the little quick connect things. So I think I just, un- no, I took the pole with me. I took the pole with me. Um, I crawled to the fucking bathroom. And took a shit on my own because I didn't want to ask for help. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you're dealing with. Right. Um, I went from being a normal uh, a human being. You know, I was patrolling. I was a fucking infantryman. I was tough as nails, you know. And next thing you know, like, I had some of the most attractive women I've ever, you know, seen at the time. And they were they were, they were wiping me. And that yeah. was the hardest thing on earth. Um so there, there is so much to try and process at yeah. one time. 
And I, I lost my shit more times than I care to count. And my sister saw me lose my shit and she had to deal with that. And I mean, I'm still very regretful about that. Um, and also I didn't have a vehicle at Walter Reed. I was stuck there. I, if I wanted to leave, I had to wheelchair to the Metro and then get on a fucking Metro to go anywhere. So it felt like a prison. And I mean, it was hard. Those, that first year was probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through with the setbacks, multiple surgeries. I mean, every day was a fucking struggle right? in one way or another. And how long was it before you saw anybody from the unit? We got off the plane. No, Boyce and Prez came up once. Hmm. I don't remember exactly when that was. And then... Because um, they, they were back early too. Yeah, yep, hit. yep. So they yeah. were back early. And then... So they came up and then Evans came up after he got wounded. <laughs> and... Uh, that was... Yeah. That was a hard one because I didn't know the whole story and everything. And like when Evans came in, his face was still fucked up. Yeah. And I mean, that was hard to see. And he brought me a milkshake. <laughs> uh, but I thought I had missed him because we were like chat- texting and he was like saying when he was going to be there and I had an appointment. And I got back from the appointment. I come back up to the hospital or my ward. And I was like, hey, did anybody stop by? She's like, yeah, uh, one gentleman, he dropped off a milkshake, but he said he had to go. And I broke down. Um I just started crying. Um, I, I don't know why, but you know, seeing Evans was really important to me, and that fucking hurt. And yeah. turns out he just went down to go smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so he came back like twenty minutes later. But I mean, I, it literally it was it was a stab in the fucking heart, dude. It yeah. hurt, and I just lost my shit. Um, but then I think basically, uh, the homecoming. I remember I had told my sister that you were the first person to me coffee and she was really looking forward to meeting you. And then we met you guys down on the plane. Sarn, Ott, Evans, and Holt picked me up. Ott called me baby, which was super fucking weird. But uh, he, he said something. He's like, what's up, babe? Or some shit like that. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, homecoming. Uh, we met you guys at the plane. Uh, I remember seeing all of you. I remember giving Coffee a big old hug, gave Grace a big Everybody got a big old fucking hug. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the parade field, uh, we were staged out there as you guys like marched up. And when Coffee came up, I told my sister, I was like, this is Coffee. Uh-huh. And she gave you a big old fucking hug. And yeah. I think she said, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I think she said, thanks for saving my baby brother. And that hurt. Yeah, I mean, seeing you guys uh, when we got off the plane was huge. I mean, I think we kind of knew that you would be at the field, but we didn't know you guys would be, like, right at the... Oh, really? uh, Right off the airplane. Um, So it was really, really, really awesome to see you guys. And they kind of pushed you a little bit back. So it was like, as soon as we got back, it was like the generals or whatever the fuck. And then uh, it it was... Dude... Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was it was incredible to see you guys. Um, I mean, it, it, it was seeing your family again. That's yeah, what it was. It really was. I yeah. mean, it's like, and it, it wasn't just your family though. You know, you were seeing all these guys that you guys saved the lives of. I mean, every person on that field was there because of the rest of the platoon. So, it, I mean, it wasn't just a family bond. I mean, it was literally like there's a connection. 
Yeah. Well, that, that's what made it so good, man. It was because I remember directly thinking when I saw you, especially because you know, I was there for hooting on the bird and stuff. It's for us. The last time we saw, you, even if we knew you were okay and we knew you were yeah. recovering, the last time we saw you, you were a you know bloodied mess getting yeah. put on a medevac bird, and we didn't see you again for four or five months. Yep. You know, however long it was. And so, you know, I just remember when I saw you, it was like, Clark's okay. You know, like I, I didn't really know that you were okay until I saw you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that was a huge thing for me. And I remember literally thinking, Clark's okay. Like, he's he's fine. He's right there, you know, in the flesh. I, re- so. I remember I wasn't allowed to walk. I, I wasn't weight-bearing yet. Uh, but I wanted to wear the leg, even though I was in my wheelchair. Yeah. Just so you yeah. guys could see me with two legs. Yeah. That was the whole reason I wore it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh. That was the first time we saw you. It was the first time we saw uh, Tom, Boyce, Perez, Evans. I mean, it was because uh, you guys getting hurt was the mo- the most devastating part of the whole thing. Like combat sucked. Yeah, yeah. it was long, long, hard days. And getting shot at wasn't exactly always fun. It was sometimes fun, <laughs> but like you guys getting hurt is what was always on our minds. Yeah. Um, and to, to actually see you guys yeah. at the end of all that was like you said, it was it was like it was like seeing family again. And I'll be honest, like that night that we got back, like I didn't spend that with my family. Yeah. Like we all went out. Yeah, we did. That's like, right. <laughs> we all went out together that night. I did not and my family totally understood. You know, after a very, very long and very needed shower, like it was it was time with the platoon. I don't remember what we did. It doesn't really matter. We were all together, and it was it was awesome. I think we went to some Scottish restaurant because I got Scottish eggs for the first time, and I was like, "These are the greatest fucking thing on earth." But it was <laughs> like, Cole, I think Kohler took us out. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Yeah, I, I, I think I think we all went out. Yeah, that's, I mean that's and he he dropped the f bomb on accident in front of his wife, and she like smacked him on the arm, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> Back to reality. Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> come on, man. Back uh, to the real world, um, but. Yeah, man. And, the, you know, the thing for us is that, like I said, last time we saw you, we was putting you on a medevac bird. So our only connection was these little trickling of information that we would get about your recovery. And so we'd get, like, occasional Facebook post or a, a video or whatever. Like you said, mm-hmm. you were talking trying to take a step or whatever. And so, you know, the, the distance there was really hard for us because it was, as our wounded numbers increased, especially, and especially after throat chop, it was just like this constant thing in the back of our minds like how are the guys doing you know how many more guys are we going to get are going to get hit you know and so it was especially after you got hit i mean we, we'd had the engineers and a couple of you know a few afghan soldiers that got wounded or whatever up to that point but for our squad specifically you know you getting hit was like driving that nil home for us and so it was uh it made things back in spurgar a little bit thicker <laughs> if that, yeah you know, and getting those updates from you and from uh, Russell and uh, Calvin, like of seeing you take that step, like we could be having a really shitty day, mm-hmm. yeah. but somebody would have on their cell phone or on the computer, like, "Hey, everyone, come look! It's you know Clark's walking, yeah, you know, or, or Dennis is walking, or, or whatever." And it would just be like, "Dude, they're they're doing it. They're they're doing yeah. it." And that would allow us to kind of refocus, like, "Okay, yeah, you know, where we were dwelling and it was really tough. Now we can kind of refocus and we can do our jobs and, yeah." Um, and- I mean, I remember one of the hardest things about the first couple months at Walter Reed was that you guys were still deployed. Um, 
after having been on like both sides of the fence, like the one in the shit and the one at home worrying about the people in the shit, I would rather be in the shit any day of the week. Because yeah, you knew what we were so. going through. It wasn't I knew like, it wasn't like a family. Through, yeah. And yeah. every day I waited to hear who got wounded next. You know, mm. that's what I was always expecting. And then somebody made like some obscure ass Facebook post once that said something along the lines of, hey, can you pray for our platoon? We've like been through some shit lately and I hadn't heard anything. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like I needed to know. And it was seriously just anxiety all the time worrying about you guys. Right. I mean, I didn't want to. I mean, when Prez got shot, I found out. But uh, Maneo told me and he was so casual about it. He's like, oh, Prez got shot today. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking sure. You know, I thought he was fucking with me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then you somebody had called me and you guys were taking turns talking to me on the phone. And then I think it was Phillips got on and he kind of said, he was like, oh yeah, Prez got hit. And I was like, wait, he actually got shot? And they were like, yeah, Prez got hit. I'm like, and they were so casual about it. And they're like, oh, he's fine. Like, yeah. you know, he, it, was, it wasn't necessarily life threatening. Right. You know, obviously it was, but I guess Prez handled it pretty fucking well. So they weren't real worried. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he walked out of the field yeah. where he got shot in and he like, he yeah. like, he did get carried onto the helicopter. He he was ambulatory. Yeah, you know the, he almost lost his arm, but I mean he all other things considered, you know it's not like it was that you know devastating to his body. Yeah, and you know also we also had all all heard the story about him berating the commander in the aid station, tell him nobody puts baby in a corner. Exactly. So it's real hard to take him seriously at that point. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, everyone's so casual about it. And yeah, then yeah. Perez called me like four days later from Andrews, and I was like, son of a bitch, you actually got shot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, I mean, horrible being at Walter Reed, just constantly worrying about yeah. you guys. It it was hard. Was it, yeah. was it easier being at Walter Reed after we got back? It, it, it took a little bit of the edge off. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, th- that wasn't, it was one less thing, like, emotionally that I was dealing with. Yeah. Like, you guys were all home. I knew, like, you were safe. Um, and I didn't have to worry about hearing which one of my friends got fucked up again. Right. You know? Uh, so that kind of, it was hard to focus on everything for those first couple right. months while you guys were deployed. Because you were always my number one concern. So, yeah, once you guys were back, you know, it was... <laughs> Like, oh, thank God the boys are home. You know, that, that, I mean, but that was also around the same time that your recovery started to get more difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like yeah. one stress kind of got replaced by another. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you guys being home made a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I'm glad we made the trip up to DC as well. That first couple of days of Christmas leave or post deployment yeah. leave, it was and Christmas leave, but because that was really cool to like be humans together, you yeah. know, go to like Hard Rock Cafe and eat a hamburger and then go to the, you know, the, uh, the, the different monuments or whatever like that was do you remember who really went with trip. us like who me well, I, you stefan yep and then dennison dennison was out and about clark you remember there, who, right like you know i don't think oh, he was. You, you maybe you were already gone from walter Reed, i think he was yeah. already gone yeah evans maybe no because evans oh yeah i would have been on i would have been on my leave by then yeah mm-hmm. yeah so no, I wasn't there. I know somebody was because I remember, like, I do remember going to that nice fancy restaurant right by the Lincoln Theater and like or whatever, the Ford Theater, where mm-hmm. Lincoln got shot. Um, like I remember doing a lot of that stuff, but I just I totally spaced on. I don't remember who was there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird how those little <laughs> there might be sections a reason get like that. deleted out of your memory, <laughs> and you just can't remember that one little detail. Yeah. Um. So once yes. uh, once you were kind of out of the army, you know your recovery process was underway, and 
you know, what, what's life looking for you in the past few years? And now, I mean, how the hell has the injury kind of shaped <laughs> your day to day? And also just, you know, or, you know give us the, the, you know, what that, what's that been like to make that adjustment over so, the, over the years? Uh, upon like getting out of the military, uh, first, first summer home was bad in a sense. Um, I drank a lot. Um, not to the point where it was like, I'd wake up and crack a beer. No, it was nothing like that. I was just like, you know, way more than I should be drinking and, uh, started figuring out like, okay, I need to do something. But as soon as I got home, about a month after I got home, I developed an infection in my left leg. Couldn't wear my leg for nine months. So it was once again, a day one restart, uh, after getting out. Uh, but then it got to the point where like, I got my leg back. You know, I got to walking again. I got normal. And I was I was pretty good. And uh, I was like, I need to fucking do something. Yeah. And I'd, I've always loved cars. They've always been a big interest to me. So I decided to go to college. And I went ahead and I got a two-year associates in uh, diesel technology. So I finished it. And in the process, um, that's when I didn't meet my wife. But that's when we started talking. Um, I knew my wife from high school. Uh, when I was 17, she was the only thing on earth I could think of. Um, I just had the world's biggest crush on her and we kind of got to talking and then she basically told me to ask her out cause I didn't have the balls to do it. So I was like, there's no way this girl would like me. Um, so we started dating and then when I bought my house, Prez was like, I think I'm going to kind of go my own way. And yeah. I was like, cool, man, whatever you want to do. So I bought my house. I was a bachelor for one month and it was my golden eye. I like that you don't count the time that you were living with Perez as being a bachelor. Nah, man, that, that, that was like a, uh, domestic partnership. <laughs> um, so all of a sudden it went from me, my golden and I in this house and to me, my girlfriend and four dogs. So it went from like top ramen and beer all the time. And Maverick and I fucking around to like, Holy fuck, what is happening in my house? Like, mm -hmm. this is crazy. And I ended up taking a job at a shop in Klamath. Uh, it was kind of a cool gig actually. It was really cool. Um, it was a four-wheel drive shop and a saw shop in one. Um, I ended up going to still school. Um, I ended up getting a couple ASC certifications. And, it, I mean, it, it was a really cool job. I got yeah. to do a lot of cool stuff. Um, <laughs> I, so I, I was a service writer for them for a little while. And then I ended up uh, actually deciding to use my degree. And I started turning wrenches. So I did that for a while. And then Britt and I... Uh, Got engaged. We got married, um, which Curtis was at our wedding. Uh, he was kind of the life of the party, actually. Um, he can dance. It's not true. And he has the energy to dance for a long time. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost missed my uh, cake cutting because I was outside FaceTiming coffee and nobody could yep. find me. So I still get shit for that every long day. Time. Probably longer than <laughs> we should have. But... Yeah, it, it was pretty yeah. bad. Um, so, I mean, I'm married to a beautiful wife who has been, who's put up with more shit and dealt with more issues of mine than anybody should ever have to. Um, and here's a real quick little story. The minute there were multiple minutes that I said, that's when I knew she was the one Yeah. on our second date. And I hope she doesn't get mad at me for telling this story on our second date. The whole plan was she was going to come over and make me dinner and I was going to work on our car. 
So she gets there, she pulls in and, uh, I'm like, go ahead. The kitchen's right this way. You know, I'll be in here dealing with your car. Like, just let me know if you need anything. And within minutes of getting in my house, she goes, do you want any of this wine or can I drink it out of the bottle? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't want any wine. She's like, I'm drinking it out of the bottle. We're going to K's. <laughs> Get in the car. We're going to the jewelry store. Yeah. Oh, it, and uh, that that was like the first moment I was like, this this lady is fucking awesome. Uh, so now I don't work at that shop anymore. I ended up taking a position at a community college we have in Klamath as an adjunct auto instructor. So. At the moment, I'm uh, attempting to teach kids how to work on cars, students, how to work on cars. Um, so things have gone pretty well for me for yeah. the most part. Um, obviously, yeah. happily married. I have a bunch of awesome dogs that are only a pain in the ass like 90% of the time. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's been good. But I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It has been the roughest fucking thing yeah. for the last eight years. Um and one like hearing you know talking to you in the last couple of days, and when we did the pre-interview, I, one thing I kept coming back to one thing, which was we talked about in episode one, where we'd be walking around, smoked, tired, over it, and be like, man, I just I just wish I'd step on one. <laughs> yep. And I think if I'm understanding correct, the moral of the story is it was not better to step on one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've I've always said that stepping on the IED was the best thing that ever happened to me. I've always mm-hmm. said that. Um, and the thought process behind that is I wouldn't be where I am now, which is a very cliche thing to say, but I wouldn't have my truck. I wouldn't have my wife. I wouldn't have my golden. I wouldn't have any of the things I have now. And you know, it's worth it in a sense. Um, when it's not worth it is when I wake up, I put my leg on and my first two steps are agony. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my fucking day. Yeah. Like this is all I have to look forward to. Um, chronic pain is a motherfucker. Yeah. It tears you down in ways that nothing else can. And this past winter, it got really bad. Um, I, I mean, I was constantly angry and it's hard not to be when you can't even walk or, you know, everything I do now, I've had to relearn how to do it. Even working on cars with half a hand is not easy. Um, learning guitar left-handed is like, I want to smash this fucking guitar. Um, but anyway, this last winter got really bad and I kind of started researching chronic pain and looking it up a little bit. And I found a quote and I don't remember it word for word, but basically how it goes is chronic pain is the cloudiness of tomorrow. And, uh, ultimately what that means is, you know, I might have a badass day plan tomorrow. Like I'm going to go have a kick-ass long day fishing, shooting, hunting. But in the back of my mind, I know I'm not really going to have fun because I know I'm going to be in pain the whole time. So it clouds your future. I mean, you know, you just, it, there's always a cloud over you. So yeah. it, it, it's been difficult. And I mean, I, it's hard. Every day is hard in one way or another. Um, I can't remember the last time I was 100% pain free. I, I don't, you know, no matter what, something always hurts. And like nine times out of 10, it's my legs, obviously. Um, whether it's standing for 20 minutes or walking 10 miles in a day, like I religiously take Epsom salt baths now. I mean, it's like almost every night I'm soaking my legs in Epsom salt, trying to like alleviate some of the pain. Uh, and what are you going to do? Like, I'm not taking narcotics the rest of my life. Yeah. So, you know, you just kind of got to grit your teeth and 
go with it. And most of the time I can do that, but it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And you get to a breaking point where you just fucking snap. And that's something I'm, I'm, I'm seeking therapy now. Like it's something I'm trying to work on doing, but it has been just, and I'm not saying the last eight years have been 100% bad. Obviously I just got done saying how awesome everything's yeah. been, but it does. Everything you do is affected everything. Yeah. And it does take a lot of the fun out of life. I mean, it's not an easy thing to deal with by any means. And yeah. It's taken me seven years to realize, you know, I need to talk to somebody about this. I need to, you know, figure out what I can do to rewire my brain and, you know, deal with it and cope and stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at now. But sure. it's, and I, there, I, there's so many different ways you can look at this. I mean, I love cowboy boots and you know how hard it is to find a fucking cowboy foot that a prosthetic foot will fit in? Hmm. Uh, no, but I'm aware that you have one. I do. And I was wondering <laughs> if you would oblige us in showing us... Your cowboy boot. Well, so this yeah, one is my work boot. Oh, you already have it off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I took it <laughs> off earlier. <laughs> so I'm not gonna lie. I kind of went full boot with this uh, socket. Uh, I mean, like full boot. Um, so it's a multi-cam socket. Oh god. Nice. Oh yeah. Oh, it's bad. It gets worse. And then there's a third ID patch and a combat infantry badge laminated into it. <laughs> It's pretty there fucking good. And for our listeners, when we refer to something as boot, it's typically something that the youngest private or the newest person in the military will do. It would be like buying the multicam hat mm-hmm. or wearing your uh, basic training t-shirt or wearing boots, like army issue boots as your shoes. Or dog tags out of the dog shirt. Dog tags out cool. of the shirt. Uh, buying the Camaro. Yeah, buying stripper. the Camaro with 27% interest. Nope. Yeah. Uh, hey, marrying, that's a deal. Marrying Most the first, are 33. <laughs> <laughs> marrying the first girl that remembers your name at the at the coastal, at the the local watering hole. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't say uh, I wouldn't say you've gone full boot, but you do have a full boot. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, I admire your tenacity, Eric. Because, uh, <laughs> as a man who wears shit kickers every day of his life, uh, that's something I don't have to think about. You know? Ariot. I just yeah. throw them on. But Ariat yeah, are a, the only boots. I've tried multiple, and Ariats are the only boots that will fit. So I've got a set of Ariat work boots and a set of Ariat cowboy boots. Do, have you like ever emailed the company and be like, hey, by the way, like I, I rock your I need boots to. religiously? What, but you get a couple extra legs out of it. What size shoe do you wear, man? Uh, I think 10s. What about your prosthetics? Is it even 10 as well? Yep, it is. Yeah, they match it to your other foot. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it it's stupid little things like that yeah. that, you know, you never think about. Um, I mean, I loved my cowboy boots. And I was like, fuck, I can't. Wait. It took me probably five years before I found a set that would work. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, but when I did, it was like the greatest fucking day. I was like, yeah. finally, I can wear cowboy boots again. Um, Even like getting up to pee in the middle of the night, you know, like I got two options. I'm either going to hop or I have to put my leg on and it might not sound like it's that big of a deal, but imagine having to put your boots on every single time you need to get up and do something. And that's ultimately yeah. what it is. Yeah. So it's like, fuck, it's two in the morning. Yeah. I'm just going to hop, yeah. you know? And it's, it's those little things that really start to get at you. Um, I mean, it's, it's always there. Yeah. You never get a break from it. And if you don't, if you don't mind me, I, I got a question for you and yeah. you don't have to answer it, man, because it might lead you to a dark place, but <laughs> You've been dealing with this for eight years now. Yeah. But how often do you think this is what I got to deal with for the rest of my life? All the time, every day. Yeah. yeah. 
every day with you know that when you're 70 it's still gonna be there you know yeah and uh that was part of a big reason why i left my job uh first of all i have nothing but great things to say about my former employer they Mm -hmm. treated me way better than anyone ever should have um they were i mean i still talk to them i mean they're family to me they took care uh, if i if i was was having a bad leg day all i do is call and say i'm having a bad leg day and they said go home don't come back till you're ready you know um and they they would have been very accommodating to whatever i would have needed but turning wrenches was fucking killing me it was just adding on to the problem yeah um it's hard on the body you're in weird positions all the time i mean it was miserable so it's only been in the last year or so that I'm like, I have to start thinking about my future more and yeah. taking care of what little body I have left. So yeah, every single day. And typically it gets on a bad day. Uh, I, I know my wife has heard me say it a hundred times. You know, I can't believe I have to fucking deal with this the rest of my life. And it typically, it'll it'll hit and it'll be, you know, looming there in the back of my mind. But eventually, you're just like, well, fuck, I have to do it, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, to answer every single day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And kind of going off of that, I mean, it's pretty common to hear a lot of vets say, my time in in war was the best time of my life, or I wish I could go back and I could do it again. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, and most of those, the overwhelming majority came back without a scratch, and they, yep. they, they yeah. came out with, you know, maybe, maybe other kind of trauma and other kind of post-traumatic stress, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they came back all the fingers and toes yep. and their, their mobility and their physical ability isn't really limited the rest of their lives. So have you, is that a feeling that you have, or are you like, well, I'm thankful for the experience, but there's you know, no way I would go back or, uh, cause it's, I've always believed that that, that statement was very, um, dif- Ill, difficult for me to reckon with. Yeah. It, yeah. It's ill conceived. Cause yeah. it's, it's, I don't think, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's. Yeah. I think they're remembering the highs. Yes, they only are. the highs, not the lows. They're forgetting about that daily shittiness or the yep. shittiness yeah. of you know the threat of getting wounded or whatever, or they never saw enough of it to really. Yeah, make a difference. right. I loved our deployment. I did. Um, obviously, it played a big part of who I am today, and I mean, we had fun. We did. Like, there was nothing better than a firefight where everyone walked away. Yeah. When we'd get into a good little skirmish and we got to like shoot and shoot and like, fuck, I got to launch grenades. Anytime I got to launch a grenade, it was a great day. Um, <laughs> I loved that thing. Um, and I, for a long time, yeah, you know, I wanted to go back. Yeah. I did. But what I realized pretty quick was that I didn't want to go on another deployment. I didn't want to go with another group of guys. Like I wanted, if that was to happen, I, I wanted to relive our deployment right. with our platoon, our AO, you know that, because... I don't know. To me, that and other people might think this about their deployment. But that seemed like a really special deployment. How the whole thing went down, especially in that time era where a lot of guys weren't getting into contact and everything had kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, and I hate to say it, but other people in even our battalion didn't mm-hmm. have a you know connected deployment. And as infantrymen, that's what we wanted, and we got that connect deployment. I got the deployment that I can like sit back and be like, yeah, that that was that was fucking crazy. But in the last couple of years, that thought process definitely started to go away. Um, I wouldn't go back. I would not. But I'm glad it happened. You know, yeah. I'm very thankful for the opportunity and that I got to go with you guys. And there's, I mean, not another soul on earth I would have wanted 
to have gone with, you know, um, you guys, and obviously there's like an even stronger connection there. Cause you, you two literally were there when I got wounded and helped exfil me. Um, it was a good deployment. It was, I mean, we lost a couple dudes. Yes. We had more wounded than, I mean, I, I don't know how many purple hearts ended up going out, but 28, I think was, my yeah, that's a good number. Company. <laughs> uh, company. Yeah. Third of the company, essentially. Yeah. It was pretty fucked up, but no, I wouldn't go back. Yeah. No, yeah. but I'm glad everything happened the way it did. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, that's, yeah. I'm always, I'm always thankful for it because it's a, a constant reminder of the limits of my mortality. Yeah. Which <laughs> I find a great, uh, a great kind of comfort in, you know, cause you don't sweat the little things that don't mm-hmm. really matter, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I don't even think of it like, I'm not like, oh, well, I made it through Afghanistan. I can, uh, if I can do that, I can do this. You know, I don't even think mm-hmm. of it that way. It's yeah. just like, I know in my heart that I went through some fucking shit. Yeah. I did. And it was the strongest test you could really put on a person. And I never quit. I gave 100% the entire time. And that's good enough for me. You know, that, and that's, and that's that little self justification that you know makes me feel a little better is i never quit and i gave everything i could every minute we were out there and and i think i think a lot of guys that say that they would like to go back and maybe some of them do i don't know i can't i can't be inside everybody's psyche but i think i think you nailed it on the head i think it's one of the most profound things i've heard about that topic is that i don't want to go back i want to go back on that deployment with those people at that time like that time period i just want to do it again um and I, that's, I think it's pretty powerful, and that says a lot about even in the, the shittiest of environments, you know, it was, there was something about that 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 you would potentially want to do again, um, but only in, like, the exact set of scenarios. Yeah, like, it would be the same thing. Right, <laughs> and and that's the thing is, you know, one thing changes. You have a different company commander, you have a different platoon leader, you have a different team leader, like, you have a different mix of people, and, and it's, you know, it's like the multiverse, you know, <laughs> you know, change one thing, and suddenly we don't see a single bit of combat or, yeah like you know, Aston Kusher had a movie about this I have my soapbox about this actually which is that you know because when I got out I was I wasn't burning bridges I was fucking nuking bridges between <laughs> me and my military connections because I was so tired of it yep. and my goal was you know and this is I think actually what helped me a lot in Afghanistan just getting through the daily grind and also was you know this is not going to define me Mm-hmm. You know, because I had heard these guys talk a lot, and I went into that deployment knowing we were going to get into the thick of it. And I remember telling myself, "This is not going to define who I am. I'm not going to go the rest of my life being the veteran guy." You know, yeah. and like when I walked into my classrooms six months after I got out of the army, you know, and, and seven months out from my last firefight or however long it was, you know, I didn't say a word about yep. being a veteran, but. You know, I never wanted that to define who I am. And if and if, if you find yourself in this position where like, man, I wish I could go back and just do it again, that kind of thing, fucking do something else. You yeah. know? Like if yeah. that's the best thing you've done in your life, if that's if that's the apex culminating moment for your life, then sit down and really think about what you're doing and about what you're applying yourself to, what you're spending your energy on. And then ask, what else can I do that would actually make me more well-rounded? That would make that a part of my narrative and not uh, yeah. just the only dominant thing in it. Right. So if you're sitting around drinking beers and it's been 10 years since you got shot at in Afghanistan, and especially if you aren't wounded, you know, 
or or you didn't see some horrendous shit that maybe eats at you every day. But if you know if you're just doing that, even if you're doing that stuff, man, sit down and think about what else you can do and move towards that and make the next thing something you can do. Yeah. Or what about that makes it so appealing to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Figure out what that is. Was it the guys to your left and right? Yeah. Well, then maybe have those guys that you were deployed with a bigger part of your life. You know, maybe you know involve them more or find a career field that's very very much like that, like law enforcement yeah. or yeah. fire or something like that. You know, seek out the things. Identify what you really missed about that deployment, um, because I promise Good. you, what you missed wasn't almost dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't miss the bullets like zipping so close to your head you could feel the concussion off. Oh, that's not way, you, you missed the adrenaline rush. If that yeah. if you think that's what you missed, it's not what you yeah. missed. It was yeah. the adrenaline rush. And there's a skydiving school in every town. Yeah. And they can yeah. take care of that for you. <laughs> yeah. And that's and I, I did I let it define me for a long time. Um I mean I was very proud of it, you know. I had the multi cam hat, all that. And in the last like two years it's fine. Yeah, did I've it, got I mean, a multicam hat. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I mean, it was I mean, like literally the. It's for some reason it's all I would think about. Yeah. you know, and I really let it define me like that for a long time. And in the last two years, I just finally something snapped, and I was like, "Fuck that!" Yeah, like yeah. I am over that. And uh, you know, I've been getting rid of the uh, like I didn't get rid of my multicam hat. The thing's like six years old. It's weathered. It's torn. I love it with every ounce of my soul. But it just hangs on my wall now. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I, I have more going on than just one combat deployment that lasted exactly. fucking and, five months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you're more than that as a person. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's helped. It has, yeah. you know, um, and that's one of the good things about doing this is reconnecting with guys. Cause I mean, I basically haven't talked to anybody, but Curtis, I've talked to you a couple of times, whatever, but until recently I have not talked with anyone, you know, exactly. I, I said for Curtis, cause he was determined to uh, be my friend <laughs> <laughs> i remember when luke got out and he said i am not going to talk to any one of you at all when i'm gone that'll be the last you see luke coffee yeah, i think like, uh, two days later i got a text from curtis hey man what's up <laughs> <laughs> I miss but i'm glad you, you did I'm, I'm, i appreciate your formidity your formid- yeah. uh, formidability but um i had a point to that oh that's it but you know the good thing about us doing this thing is and me reconnecting with guys that i haven't talked to in sometimes eight years or more or less you know is that we're living lives now you know guys are married guys are have kids guys Mm -hmm. are you know woodworking or are into careers or finishing school like people are living real lives Mm -hmm. so it's cool that everybody can get back together having had this shared experience we can all sit here and do something like this but then I can shut this thing down tomorrow morning and go spend Christmas with family and with my wife's family right. and things like that, you know? Yeah. So. And, and that's what's, it's, it's been long enough, you know? Yeah. It's been eight fucking years. Everybody, not, maybe not everybody, but most of us had a chance to move on, start the next chapter in our life, all that, instead of like doing this a year or two after the deployment. And yeah. then it, it just, it wouldn't have that same yeah feel, the, the punch, you know? Cause this is like that. I'm, this might not be the right way to say it. It's similar to like the happy ending in a movie, you know. Yeah. Um, we waited long enough. We got to see how a lot of these lives turned out, and for some of us, it turned out better. For some of us, obviously, it turned yeah. out worse. But you see these guys, and you saw them, you know, laying on a pile in, in a bloody mess. You know, you saw this person fighting for their life, and you were fighting to keep them alive. And then eight years down the road, you reconnect and like, 
you find out he's married and has four dogs, you know? Yeah. And you, there's that like little bit of like, you know, it kind of worked out for him yeah. type of thing yeah. going on there. Instead of doing it two years later and like, I'm still pissed off and drunk yeah. or something, you know? And that, and that's what I appreciate. And also, you know, yeah, like you said, reconnecting everybody. I've talked to Smothers more in the last month and a half than I have in the last eight years. Yeah. And I fucking love Smothers. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I love Smothers to death. He's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Really good guy. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, yeah sure. I mean, you could really good point. I mean, everyone has kind of bypassed the post-deployment yeah. anger. Pretty much everyone's out of the army. Everyone has found their own. You know, we have lawyers and pilots and teachers and... Um, you know, all this this wide variety. I mean, Phillips is getting his master's degree in social work. Like, who would have like nobody? Like, no one would have thought that. But I mean, every, everyone is finding their is working on finding their niche, and some people are still working on yeah. it. Yeah, and that's okay. There's nothing you, wrong. You don't have to be a final person at this point no. in your career. But it I'm is really cool not. to see people starting to slide in to their yeah. to their final to, to what their niche after the army. Um, and I think you can't really have an intelligent conversation about what we experienced until you kind of, until most people have kind of stepped back, stepped yeah, away from and, it. You have to step back. I mean, yeah. Yeah. as I, I've been telling Grace the last couple of days, like, I've kind of been pushing the military pretty far away from me. Um, I was telling, I had my I love me wall up. Um, I mean, it had like my retirement certificate, my promotion certificate, you know, all that stuff. And then it had like pictures of the IEDs Curtis and I hit. Um, fun fact, <laughs> we hit two IEDs before I stepped on this one. Uh, he was driving the first time I was gunning. I was driving the second time and he was, were you gunning or were you dismount? I was just chilling in the back, yeah, bro. It, does, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, fun fact, you'll have to flash up the my first IED thing somehow. Yeah, I got uh, it. You guys will see it, maybe. But where the fuck was I going with this? Uh, you, you had the wall up and you were taking the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And... You know, it just goes along with like the, this doesn't define me anymore. You know, I've kind of took it down, but I still have a little bit around the house here and there. Uh, like I, I do have my purple heart on display because yeah. I am very proud of that. You uh, be, even though yeah. I basically got it because I fucked up my job. It's a good reminder. It's like yeah. e- even fuck ups get awards. Just yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my participation trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, and it's, I'm not going to lie. It is a weight off of my shoulders yeah. in a way. Yeah. It really is. Like I'm not letting this constantly be that reminder in the back of my head. I think it holds people back. It I does. Do. Yeah. And I mean, for the longest time, even like on a road trip and it was always road trips, you know, that time you have by yourself on a long drive, like all I would think about was Afghanistan. And then now that's not the case. You know, I don't have constant reminders around my house everywhere I look. And that yeah. has really, really helped. So one thing we, we always do kind of at the end of these things is we kind of give you like a, uh, an alibi. You know, this is kind of your opportunity to say anything that we didn't come and kind of pour organically or anything that's on your mind. So whatever you'd like to say, like the floor is yours. Um, I mean, A, I mean, first of all, hats off to you guys. Um, I'm sure you've heard it, but I, I think everyone is very appreciative for what you guys are doing. Um. I've been excited about this since the minute you guys told me from the second you launched that Kickstarter. Yeah. This I've thought about this a lot. And um like I said, it's got and it doesn't have me talking to like the whole platoon, but like even talking to Smothers, you yeah. know, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this. Um I haven't talked to Coffee in fucking years. <laughs> I mean, I think literally the only time we have talked since getting out of the military was at my wedding, because Grace yeah. FaceTimed you. Um yeah. 
So it is awesome bringing everybody back together. And I'm sure that's been fucking nailed about a million times by now. Um, and I mean, basically I just, I don't have any bad blood, you know? Yeah. I, I don't have any grudges against anybody. And I did for a long time. Yeah. Um, and you know, I blamed it on other people. I did. And through the years and stepping back and looking at it, no matter how it comes down, that ultimately and 100% was my fault. 100%. Um, I think the Taliban has a small, yeah, I mean, okay, we'll give them like 1%. Small percentage <laughs> responsibility. Yeah. But in the end, I was the operator and I did not do my job correctly. I mean, sure, there were factors involved. Yeah. Absolutely. We were fucking exhausted. Uh, I mean, it was a mad dash to get there because there were tons of dudes bleeding out, even though they weren't really at that point, from what I understand. Um, I mean, they, they were still fucked up. But yeah. They were, and at they, that point, they were as good yeah. as they were going to get that day. So, you know, I laid the blame on other people for so long. And I've finally kind of gotten to that point that I'm like, it's not their fault. You know, it was me. I was operating it. I didn't do my job correctly. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily like your fault. It's just that it's war happens, man. Yeah, it does. You, yeah. you, can't, you can't plan for the chaos. And to anybody that watches this, I mean, there's no bad blood on my end. And... Yeah. Anything I've said in the past or any blame I put on anyone in the past, you know, it was unjust and I do regret it, but anymore, you know, I'm good for the most part, you know, um, sure there are things happened that I disagreed with, but that's not just a military thing. That's going to happen anywhere you fucking work. That's going to happen sure. with anything you do. So on my end, I'm good with everybody, you know? Um, cool. And there are certain people don't know exactly who I'm talking about. And, uh, to them personally, you know, it's all good, homie. Give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, that's off my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. So, I mean, other than that, this has been fucking awesome. Um, Alaska is the shit. I saw a moose, and I'm moving here someday. <laughs> Boom. That sounds awesome. I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Appreciate you making all the time and effort and sacrifice to come up to Alaska, too. Oh man, I'm suffering so much here. Yeah, I know you <laughs> boys are killing me. <laughs> <laughs> now this has been a blast, start to finish. Um, obviously, it's it, it, it choked up a little, which I knew was going to happen, but I hoped wouldn't. Yeah. Um, it's brought back a lot of memories, a lot of reminders that I, you know, little things I'd forgotten about. Um, and I mean, honestly, I, I, I mean, I love you guys and. I appreciate everything. I mean, love you too, buddy. I owe love you guys you, my man. life. So, mostly Luke. No. <laughs> mostly Tom Evans. Yeah. Fair. Sorry, Evan. Sorry about your birthday, bud. <laughs> yeah. No, we love you too, buddy. We appreciate you coming on, yeah. man. We do. It's been fun. All right. All right. Cool beans. Cheers. 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 National University understands military student needs and offers dedicated support through the Veterans Center. Scholarships available, visit nu.edu slash project.